Welcome to Mapping Healthy Minds, a podcast that explores the intersection of mental health and real life. I'm licensed marriage and family therapist and your host, Justin Lewis. On today's episode, I interview two fellow licensed marriage and family therapists and also podcast hosts. They host the show called Modern Therapist's Survival Guide. We talked uh, a little bit about what it's like being a so-called modern therapist, how they use their podcast as a service to therapists, how it got started, what they enjoy about it, etc., etc. And we also talk about some of their work. We kind of commiserate a little bit about what it is like to be a therapist and um, some of the ins and outs, so to speak, of being a therapist. This particular podcast episode may be one that connects more if you are a counselor or therapist than some of the other episodes, but the general public is most definitely welcome to hear some shop talk. So before I get into my interview with the host of Modern Therapist Survival Guide, Katie Vernoy and Kurt Widhelm, I need you to know that this podcast is brought to you by Compass Counseling. And here at Compass, we provide therapy services for people of all ages. We have services here in Paducah, uh, also in Henderson and Owensboro, and anywhere in the state of Kentucky via telehealth. So if you are interested in making an appointment or learning more, our website is compasscounseling.com. Now, Without any further ado, here is my interview with Kurt and Katie. Kurt, I'm going to ask you a question that I get asked, or I get, yes, I get asked, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase that, Um, and people, or something I'm told, I'll put it that way, something I'm told. I wonder if you are as well. And Katie, you kind of make me think this too. I am a NPR listener for years and years. And I often get told, even before I did podcasting, that I had an NPR voice. And I listen to you guys. I know for sure, Kurt, you at least have to be told this too, right? I have been told this since I was about fourth grade. Okay. <laughs> of that I was destined to be in radio or politics, and somehow I have kind of entered into this world of being slightly kind of connected to both. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so I, I knew, because you definitely, I mean, you, if someone told me that I was listening to Ari Shapiro whenever you were talking, I would not argue with him. How funny. (laughs) (laughs) And Katie, you kind of have an NPR vibe voice yourself. Do you get that as well? I don't. Most people just tell me about my laugh. I I don't have a very distinct laugh. Well, I think, yeah, I I even had somebody reach out. I think today or yesterday who was like, Hey, I'm a new therapy student and I love your laugh and I want (laughs) to interview you for my class. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, okay. I actually haven't said, okay, I'm trying to determine how much time I can actually give back to everyone. Right. So I'm working on that, but I do well, like to help students if sure. I can. It is an unusual reason 
to be asked for an interview, I'll say, but there's worse reasons to be asked. So, well, a podcast listener yeah. that just really thinks I'm hilarious. So then, of course, if someone thinks I'm hilarious, oh, I yeah. have to talk to them because they're completely feeding my ego. Oh, uh, that's the number one manipulation tool is flattery, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah. Flattered that I'm hilarious. That uh, I, now I'm, I'm, I'm one of her people. This is how she wants to be a therapist. You know. All oh the good boy, things. how could you possibly turn that one down? I know, right? <laughs> so, all right. Well, I'm going to ask you a, another question that you have asked many times. Who are you, and what are you putting out into the world? You go first, Kurt. So I'm Kurt Woodhelm. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in the Los Angeles area. And along with my partner here, Katie Vernoy, mm -hmm. we are the co-hosts of the Modern Therapist Survival Guide and the co-founders of the Therapy Reimagined Conference. And I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more about that kind of stuff as we uh, progress through our discussion here today. In addition to that, I'm a professor at, uh, an adjunct professor at Pepperdine University and Cal State University Northridge, okay. and uh, do a lot of advocacy work in the mental health field here in California, and have dabbled back and forth in DC a couple of times with that as well. Good. I didn't realize the Pepperdine uh, information. I didn't know that about you. I have been to the uh, Pepperdine lecture series before. So, yeah. That's a beautiful campus. Yeah, it's, it's gorgeous it's right there, right there above the beach in Malibu. And I mean, it's almost unbelievable. It's almost like this is not reality that I'm looking at right now. <laughs> it's just so, <laughs> so, so pretty. So, okay, thank you. Uh, all right, so Katie, who are you and what are you putting out into the world? Um, I guess basically I'm what Kurt said. <laughs> Ditto. Ditto. No, I'm a, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist as well. And I have a small private practice. It's, it's virtual right now, but will remain primarily virtual for all folks in California. I work with high achievers, uh, people who are leaders, entrepreneurs who are uh, struggling to kind of cope with the world, but also potentially to meet their potential. Mm -hmm. And then I also do coaching and consulting for leaders, entrepreneurs, helping professionals to help them with like leadership decisions and systems and hiring and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I am also based in LA, but about an hour south of Kurt, <laughs> or maybe an hour and a half in traffic. In, in, in Southern California terms, in, depending yeah, on traffic. Depending on traffic, it's like 40 minutes to two hours away. Um, but, uh, so he's in the North, I'm in the South and, uh, we got together four years ago, five years ago, like the podcast started in 2017. So, and we've been we, working for a little while together before that and some other yeah, projects. Yeah. So, but we, we uh, have our podcast and our conference and, uh, and yeah, so that's what I do. So. Um, this podcast, Mapping Healthy Minds, is um, one of the, at least the current tagline, is uh, the intersection of mental health and real life. And so I, I cover across the spectrum, and it's uh, your podcast is primarily for other therapists. Yes. Uh, mine covers all across the board, and um, 
I recently talked to a journalism teacher about trauma journalism and how they take care of journalists. And uh, so it's one example. And I thought, you know, you guys would be a good guest for uh, mental health professionals and how we can take care of ourselves. Because I see your podcast as a tool for that. The uh, survival kit kind of implies that, <laughs> right? Is that yeah. this is what is going to help a therapist um, uh, get through the tough times? And um, I like that idea also of the modern therapist. What um, would you say is the difference in a modern therapist and a traditional therapist? I think the the biggest difference that I I think we're trying to put forward is that is that modern therapists are evolving and they're they're paying attention to what's new. They're they're actually very thoughtful. They're not just sticking with what they learned in grad school because I think there's a lot of gaps. Mm-hmm. There's not sufficient time, but probably not sufficient attention to all the the broad array of diversity that society affords, both within our profession as well as those we serve. I think the other piece is we don't really learn about business or how to create a career in grad school. Mm -hmm. And so modern therapists find other ways to learn that and actually recognize that there is more to being a therapist than doing therapy. And so to me, modern therapists are folks who are doing cutting edge work and are taking care of themselves while also making sure that they are legally and ethically sound and uh, that there is strong clinical efficacy in the work that they're doing. I think you guys do a really good job with that, making, uh, making sure it's very professionally done as far as, hey, we're, we're it's like, we still have our guardrails, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. but we've got a little room to maneuver and figure out what works for us. And we don't have to just stick in the, the textbooks that we had from 10 years ago or whatever. Uh, so was there anything that you'd add to that, Kurt? I'd say a lot of the focus and conversations that we have is looking at how the therapist is both in and out of the therapy room. And a lot of the therapist education is about what we do to clients that doesn't really look at things like how how we take care of ourselves outside of session, how things like money impact our clinical decisions, that right. a lot of therapists and psychology education overall relies on research that is done in these kind of pristine lab conditions that <laughs> doesn't take into account my client has four less sessions all of a sudden because their insurance company doesn't have any more funding that they want to put towards them, that we need to be able to react in time to these kinds of decisions that, uh, you know, as the pandemic hits of being able to transition our learning skills and our ability to provide our, our services to clients in real time, you know, a lot of research pretends that therapists are have their heads on straights and aren't going through a whole bunch of personal stuff themselves <laughs> or on the other end completely blames them for not being in that position. And so what we right. really try to do is normalize that therapists are humans and have human experiences right alongside our clients. Do you find that you have to go out of your way to do that in the therapy session is to like humanize yourself? I do primarily couples work and it seems like I sometimes have to 
because I teach and I've got such a, <laughs> at this point, I can express appropriate communication methods so well, it looks like, how could Justin ever possibly not say the right thing? <laughs> so, <laughs> so sometimes I have to be like, here's an example of hell. I did not say the right thing this weekend. I mean, work that in, uh, kind of, do you, do you feel the need to do that sometimes? I, I think we both really encourage kind of really honest responses and through kind of refinement, some of that stuff comes more naturally. And right. a lot of that's just taking ownership over having some of our mistakes. One of the things that Katie and I really encourage for a lot of mental health clinicians is to even provide some sort of a cultivated look into your life, even on your website, if you're advertising it out to the public. For example, I do EMDR work with people who've been through trauma, and my story about how I got into EMDR is up on my website. I want to convey to people, like, not only is this a technique that I do as a therapist, but I see the benefit of what it was like to be a client receiving this kind of service and how it ended up helping me. Yeah. And my story is pretty, I was in a cycling accident. It's pretty easy for a lot of people to see that, but we, we do encourage therapists to kind of look at, all right, you don't want to put too much out there about yourself. You don't want to traumatize your clients, make them feel like they're needing to take care of you. And so that there is that balance of being able to step back in sharing these kinds of things that you're talking about in an appropriate way. Mm -hmm. I think so. I think the, the thoughtfulness, I think, is what, what is really important because I think there's both taking care of yourself and taking care of your client because I think some folks will feel like they need to share so much of themselves that they then feel exposed and vulnerable. And so there's also that element too. But in truth, I think, you know, back to the, the kind of in-session elements, I found myself needing to actually modulate it a little bit differently once the pandemic hit, because I felt like I was in my home, they were in their home and there was a lot going down. And so there was, there's definitely for me, I can be very much myself. <laughs> I don't have the problem of having to like add that in. I actually need to make sure that I'm being as thoughtful as I can be on what I allow into the room. Cause I've yeah. always been more present. I, you know, I kind of grew up in milieu settings where I was with clients for many, many hours going camping, you know, like I have, you know, a lot of experience being a whole human with a client. Mm -hmm. And so then I think for me, it's that additional element of just making sure it makes sense, that it's not about me, that it's about them, that it's about mm -hmm. connection. And so I think, I think each person is going to have to navigate their own thing around that. For sure. It's, it's how it becomes an art. Uh, yes, and, yes, absolutely. The, even the research says that them feeling comfortable with us is the number one predictor of success rather than any mm. technique, experience, modality, any of those things. It's, uh, those are all behind uh, them feeling comfortable with us. And they can only feel comfortable with somebody they feel like they have an insight into uh, their life and they can feel natural with. Uh, for example, I myself am a cyclist. Kurt, so as you brought that up, I'm like, man, I just want to talk about cycling with Kurt. Yeah. <laughs> probably not gonna, probably not the best way to use our time. However, I, I do enjoy cycling myself. It's a good way to to humanize yourself is to talk about your hobbies a little bit. So, but yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing better than working with a client with anger issues than talking about cycling around traffic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I know what you totally mean. Like, 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh man. Yeah. Cycling in LA. Boy, that's a whole nother, whole nother ball game. Um, okay. So uh, I guess I buried the lead a, a little bit. How did you guys get this podcast started to begin with? How did it materialize? well there's i mean there's the the conversations that kurt and i were having and he always jokes that the reason that we're friends is because i answered the phone when he was stuck in traffic (laughs) and so the thing that i really found when uh we we started thinking about the podcast because we had we we had kind of set up a more professional relationship where we were doing some projects together we were working together but to like actually work together and not kind of on the same things mm-hmm. we were we were looking at therapist education and actually sitting at boring conferences and deciding like this isn't what we should be talking about mm-hmm. and this isn't interesting and i'm being talked at and so part of it became we want to do education differently and we want to support therapists in all elements of their life, not just in clinical technique. And so we're like, okay, so we want to do a conference. And then we're like, wait a second, we need an audience and people to attend before we can do a conference. And so then we started the podcast and it really was about like the random weird conversations that we were having that both of us were like, oh yeah, of course. And other people would look at us like, nobody ever talks about this stuff. And so we're like, okay, let's start a podcast. And I think both Kurt and I, in some ways, like the podcast better than anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a lot of the work that we did was just looking at, there seems to be so many formal and informal rules in the mental health world that Mm -hmm. really seems to be holding us back. And I've always been somebody to toe the line and cross the line and just kind of push and see where boundaries can can be pushed and leading to some of these conversations is just like, yeah, nobody is talking about this. Why? Let's mm-hmm. talk about it. And even, you know, one of the early requests that we had for our podcast was just like, what is it like for somebody to date a mental health professional? What what is the dating experience of a mental health professional? And we, we got a really good response out of that episode. And we've seen this in not only some of the fun ways, but also just in the ways of dealing with things that are currently in the news, that th- these are things that impact our clients' lives. They're things that people want to talk about. And especially during telehealth, the day of the insurrection at the Capitol is having clients all day long kind of half paying attention on their computer to sessions with me while simultaneously watching the news. And so really we're going through mental health in real time with a lot of our clients now. And that is not anything that a lot of the research or the formal rules say that we should do. Let's steer them back to the treatment plan. This isn't why they're here. Yeah, but they're human and this is what they're going through. Mm -hmm. And that's really some of the space that we want to provide some normalcy of making therapy really something that's part of both, you know, the clinician's expertise, but also what the clients are going through and wanting to have a response for I just thought of this as you guys were talking. And one of the reasons why I think I like your podcast 
so much is it it feels like the type of conversations that you would have with a fellow clinician um like kick back at the end of the day or like i'm yeah. in a group project pro- group uh, <clears throat> uh business private practice and so the thing the type of conversations that we have maybe aren't the things that you would stand up in a podium in these kind of traditionally presented um formats and talk about but the type of conversations that you're having are those more interesting to the professional, I think, because it runs into the day-to-day. Maybe we're in a position to be able to do this more now because, I mean, you can, you don't have to get something published and written in order to disseminate the information. You can disseminate this information, you know, it's like, oh, this is kind of how our field's going. I've noticed we can talk about it on a podcast. We don't have to wait to get it published. And then by the time we get it out there, it's already changed again or something like that. So it gives us the opportunity for cutting edge to be presented, it seems. So it, to me, is a form of the, the buzzword, hyphenated, uh, eight-letter word, self-care. <laughs> <laughs> it almost like, it almost pains me to say that word at this point. Uh, I'm just so anti-buzzword, but for, I'm sure there is a better word I could say, but to me it is, it's like, oh, there's more people out there in therapy. I'm not weird for thinking about therapy outside the classic textbook Mm -hmm. format. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I have some of these conversations with a coworker, like we're not abnormal for this. This is how the human condition is. We just, um, for some reason at conferences, it seems like we've got to present with this very formal um, way, but you guys are putting on a conference that's different than that. How long have you, so you've done your conference a few years now, right? Therapy reimagined. Yeah. So we're, we, we went through two years with some really tremendous in-person growth from year one to year two. We had a beautiful plan for year three and then COVID hit and we planned that conference at least three different times and from a in-person to a hybrid conference to something that was completely online and went through with an idea of we don't want this to just feel like a bunch of webinars that Mm -hmm. all of the principles that we try and bring to therapist education is about not feeling like you're sitting there just being talked to of Mm -hmm. really being engaged by speakers, by doing active learning rather than just kind of being rewarded with a continuing education certificate for sitting in one place long enough. Right. Yeah. And so we really worked hard with a lot of our presenters and got a lot of really good feedback from our audience that we were able to uh, really put something on that didn't feel like webinars. It felt like a community coming together. We had sessions after each of the education sessions where people could sit and talk with the speakers. Our speakers did a great job of giving more of their time there. We had people hang on past the end of the day, just wanting to stay and connect with other audience attendees. We put we put together an app for the conference so people all over the world could end up remaining connected with each other. And as we continue to build and look at whatever is happening with this year's conference still within kind of COVID, but also as we continue to look forward beyond, it's looking at how we can 
continue to remain engaged with each other and with the material that we're learning in a way that's still new and refreshing each year. It's a, it's a labor of love. And I think even with it going virtual last year and then, you know, at least having an element, if not it being completely virtual this year, I think the, the, the focus remains It's about connection, it's about real learning, and it's about practically being able to apply these things to your business and your life. And the the areas that we (laughs) we focus in on are, you know, kind of special populations that aren't typically paid attention to. So that's the clinical technique, clinical knowledge part that's kind of a nod to other conferences, but also how to be a therapist. So the person of the therapist. And then we also have business and technology and Kurt's personal favorite is skeptics and outliers. And so really trying to look at what's next and what is, is being discussed that doesn't necessarily have the 20, 30, 40 years of research behind it, but is, but what's cutting edge and what potentially is being debunked, um, which is always more interesting to me than just being taught a theory that people have been doing for a million years. So mm-hmm. Kurt, I'm pretty sure that we would be besties if we knew each other more. <laughs> I just keep hearing all these things and I'm like, I think we're kind of like um, long lost brothers or something with this, uh, <laughs> with the cycling, the skeptics and outliers. Those are like my favorite words, I think. So <laughs> nice. I like it. <laughs> I'll have to, um, yeah, I'll have to see about that uh, department of your, I didn't get a chance to look into it and really participate, but I, I do love the idea of having that um, inside a conference. Yes. Do you have different standards for a speaker? Um, because you're trying to make it a little more, um, I don't know the right word, but would relaxed be an okay? term uh, versus some other conferences? Outside of our keynote speakers, one of the things that we have as part of our speaker selection process is we have our past attendees help cater or help uh, go through the applications of people who are interested in speaking and really wanting what we're doing to be a community base that believes in these ideas alongside us. Katie and I were just kind of the first to have these conversations out loud in a really big way. We don't think that we're really inventing a whole lot. We're just kind of the center point of a lot of people. And so we want people to remain very, very involved with this to help shape this beyond just what Katie and I come up with. We we can sit in our offices and talk to each other on Zoom for hours thinking of what people might want to hear from us, but really getting the input from those people who've been to our conferences before to see that this is something that our, you know, attendee experience really wants to see. This is how it fits within your overall vision that we can get lost in the weeds of organizing conference stuff and dealing with CE stuff in the background and just kind Mm -hmm. of burn ourselves out on that. So having our attendees also have a really big input into what ends up showing up for our conference has been a really cool and refreshing way because eventually we're going to get biased into what we think should be up there that may be outdated. And that may be something that our audience 
in, in the spirit of what we encourage knows better than us. And if our community around us can do that better than us, then that's really our lasting impact on the mental health field. And I think as far as kind of the standards for the speakers, I think the the big piece that we're looking at is fresh, diverse voices, um, new voices that are are maybe not getting the attention that they deserve because of the typical conference. Uh, it's getting a little bit better, but the typical conference typically is the, the standard you know, fair of the the founders of the profession and and the, mm-hmm. the people who uh, maybe are are more male and white than um, <laughs> our profession is. But but we also recognize that we want to we want to be able to to have the highest level of quality. And so our application actually is, I think, pretty intense. <laughs> and and the call for speakers is open until February fifteenth or something, right? Okay. But, um, but we do ask for, especially for folks that want to do CE to give us a lot of information. We want to make sure that it's CE worthy. We definitely want people to give us video so we can see how they're going to present in the the forum that, that we're presenting. So for right now it would be a virtual uh, forum, but, but even so like people who have at least a couple of those things and get through, I think we do really give a fair shake to, people that we can get a sense of what the potential is. And it doesn't have to be like, I've spoken at these big conferences. It's Mm -hmm. like, I've got this really cool idea. I have some energy and some, some passion and, and I'm going to be a dynamic speaker and I have a topic and I can put it together in sufficient way to become CE worthy. Um, I think it becomes something where, where like what Kurt was talking about, we've got our community members not just attending and helping to pick speakers, but also becoming speakers themselves and really adding to this, this whole community of folks who are teaching each other and taking care of each other. And, and I was talking to one of our past speakers yesterday, and she's like, yeah, doing a conference with you guys is so different than any other conference. Like you have all of this stuff that you have us have to make sure that we turn in so that you can do CEs and it's more than other conferences. Cause we, you know, we want to be able to provide CEs in a, a very broad swath of professions, right. Sure. Or therapists. But then there's also, cause I end up doing sponsorship and marketing and that kind of stuff. There's also all of the ways that we bring in every person to be really actively engaged so that we can connect vetted resources with our, speakers with our attendees and and kind of create this community of of support that has you know kind of in my mind highly vetted and wonderful people who are behind the mission most of the times i talk to folks are like well you know i don't know if you know if this is the the conference uh that everybody would sign up for but this is the only one that i want to sponsor or this is the only one i would speak for because of the mission and the purpose and so so very long way around to, yeah, there's a little bit of more of a casual, like you can show up in a t-shirt and present, <laughs> but there's also like, and you're going to be super involved in our community and we will make sure that you have five references within the last five years and that you have learning objectives that <laughs> comply with the standards. So it has that kind of mix of mm-hmm. personally casual, professionally on point. It's kind of a 
like I was saying earlier, is you put up the guardrails, right? You're going to have the yeah. standards still, but yeah. redefine in some ways what happens inside the guardrails. But up, yes. know, if anybody's going to uh, spend time and money at a conference, they want to know that they're going to be attending a conference or a, with a speaker who's put some time and energy uh, and thought into what they're going to do. Absolutely. So, yeah. Circling back around to the podcast here quickly, do you feel like the podcast has helped you in your work with clients? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I Because we interview people that, that talk about all this stuff and we get to ask the question, what do therapists often get wrong? And mm -hmm. so I learned so much from that. Like sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that is totally wrong. I would never do it. Other times I'm like, how interesting that most therapists get that wrong. I would never do that. <laughs> but I learned so much about, you know, because we get to talk to experts about all these very cool things. And so, you know, I, you know, and sometimes I'll then dig deeper with some of the speakers. I, we have a speaker, Jill, someone who we interviewed, Jill Johnson Young, who also spoke at one of our conferences, and she talks deeply about and very well about grief. Mm -hmm. And so then I took a whole course with her and I feel like I don't know that I would have done that, even though she's amazing. I don't know if I would have done that if I hadn't gotten to know her through the, the podcast. And she also supported me during the podcast about my issues with death and grief. So mm -hmm. yes, I definitely feel like I'm a better therapist because of the podcast. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the things that even I'll admit of setting up my business around making things more accessible for clients. And mm -hmm. this goes anything from some of the systems of paperwork and questions to be able to ask some that are very much informed by these same guests that Katie is talking about here, but also really helping transition a lot of the processes into telehealth that was in place when everybody else was first struggling, like, how do I get my intake forms online for people that I'm never going to see again? I'm just like, oh, I'm really glad to have had that stuff in place. It was just a really seamless transition for a lot of the clients and a lot of the families that I work with. So very much echoing what Katie said, as far as a lot of the clinical stuff too, but around a lot of the businesses, business decisions that we have that being able to implement those I'm applying them just right alongside our listeners too. A couple more questions and then I'll, uh, I'll let you go to your uh, happy hour here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so you, the title, Modern Therapist Survival Guide. What would you say is um, the most important um, piece of information in this so-called survival guide for a modern therapist? I think a lot of our stuff comes down to two principles. One is really knowing who you are and how to apply that. that mm -hmm. One of the themes that we come across a lot is that we can say the exact same things to clients, but who we are, what our experience is, what our relationship that has been cultivated with the client is can be completely different results, mm -hmm. even with the exact same client. And knowing how you come across and the personalities that you have and the ways that you use it makes something appropriate for some clinicians and inappropriate for others. Mm -hmm. And really having that good idea allows for this second point, which is to be really intentional about a lot of the things that you do. And that's not only the things in the treatment plan, but it's the ways that you set up your relationship with your client 
know, when I first got licensed and started my practice, I was in my mid twenties. And so there wasn't a lot of adults that were beating down my door, like, Hey, you got the world figured out. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I settled working with a lot of teenagers, which takes an entirely different skill set than working with either young kids or with adults. And so a lot of the intentionality that I was doing at that time was around some kind of idea of, Hey, I went through this just a few years ago. I'm only a couple of steps ahead in life. I got some some background that can help you. Now that I'm a little bit older, I'm kind of having the conversations of, I'm a recycled teenager. I know most of what you're talking about. <laughs> right. I'm not that out of touch. <laughs> but it's all very intentional in helping to create this space of, I'm conveying the limits of what I know and the limits of where I share a world with you. And that is stuff that, is in a lot of the textbooks, but it's not done in kind of this way that comes with knowing where you're at in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Knowing uh, how to be you is definitely the most important part of growing as a therapist, <clears throat> young therapist, mid twenties, you're trying to, in some ways you're trying to be your supervisor. You're trying to be your professor. You know, you're trying to be what you think a therapist is supposed to be. And then slowly you just kind of realize as you've had, as you have successful cases, it's like, oh, my personality drove a lot of that versus me pulling out the right intervention at the right time. Yeah. The downside of that, however, is that we, all good things come to an end. And eventually like we have to, like our, <laughs> our clients leave, right? They graduate, they would ever terminate. If we've had that connection through personality, it can be kind of hard to just all of a sudden we were like such a huge part of their life. And now it's like, I don't know what's going on with that person anymore. So there's like definitely this emotional battle that has to be uh, fought and protected against um, and could be part of the reason why um, people have kind of guarded that being yourself in the room for so long is because of that. I think one of the things that even we haven't talked about enough is that therapeutic relationships are a two-way street, that it's not just something that only benefits clients. And mm. yeah, I've had several clients in my life that have come and gone and hopefully gone on to do great things. And I'll even, you know, years later find myself wondering, hey, I wonder what that client's up to. Mm -hmm. And kind of just needing to sit with, you know, they're doing whatever it is that they need to do. The flip side of this is also that some of these clients who have graduated on will still give me updates every couple of years. Of, mm -hmm. Here's a space in my life where, you know, I've thought back of my work with Kurt and it's really great to even just get it, you know, an email that's, you know, here's just a few, you know, sentences about what's going on. That's really, you know, honoring of the work that we've done together, but also helps to reinforce that, yeah, people do continue to think about us. Mm -hmm. That's true. And I have a, a small town uh, that I work in, so it's definitely not unusual for me to see former clients out and about restaurants, events, that sort of thing. So I can occasionally catch a client out and about and see them and get a little bit of an update. So that's pretty neat, but yeah. Probably last question, the question that you, uh, brought up earlier, Katie, that you ask your guests a lot about um, were therapists getting wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I guess we could start with what are uh, therapists that have podcasts getting wrong? That might be a <laughs> good information for someone within earshot of you right now. 
I think, I mean, I think there are a lot of therapists doing a lot of different kinds of podcasts and it seems like more and more therapists are doing podcasts and I, I think it's great. I think there are therapists who do podcasts for the general public and therapists who do podcasts for other therapists. And so I think there's, there's different things that I would say for each one. I think therapists doing um, podcasts for the general public, I think the thing that I see, and this is completely unrelated to anything I know about you. So this is, this is not uh, <laughs> anything this that is, might uh, indict me is total, it, totally yeah. accidental is what you're saying. It, you can, Cause I have no <laughs> idea what you're doing, but I think a lot of folks who do podcasts to the general public, they don't have an understanding of the goal. <laughs> um, and so sometimes there's an, a desire to monetize a podcast itself. Sometimes there's a desire to uh, get more clients and I think depending on how you set that up, both of those goals are more challenging and more complicated than they seem. Because if you do a podcast, people like we have people listening to our podcast, all 50 states. And I think depending on the month between 90 and 120 countries. So we cannot do therapy with those people. <laughs> we can do therapy True. with people in California. And so... Um, I mean, I guess there's, yeah, there's a lot of potential. Uh, I won't get into the nuance of being able to give therapy to people in other countries, but, mm -hmm. but I think a lot of therapists will start something, whether it's a blog or a podcast or something with the intention to get local clients and find that they're actually getting a lot of inquiries to respond to from other states that they then either decide to do coaching or something like that, or the podcast becomes more of a drain because it becomes this resource to the whole country and you only really can serve folks that are local. So that's mm -hmm. one. And then the other, the other possibility is the, the sponsorship or other types of monetization. And a lot of therapists just don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. And so they, they spend a lot of time and money making a podcast <laughs> and then don't actually do the next steps to try to figure out how do I get some, aligned sponsors who can then take care of my people, but also I get a little bit of money so I can cover the costs and potentially even make a little bit of money on a podcast. So for therapists facing podcasts, which is what Kurt and I have, I think the thing that people often get wrong is they, they do all of the same business topics and everyone has done all the same business topics. And that's one thing that Kurt and I have been really focused on is not just having the conversations that could be on any other podcast. So that was that was me being a, a little diatribe. So so anyway. <laughs> no, that's as a uh, general public facing podcast, which I don't see as many of. Honestly, I, I mean, I don't. I'm not, I'm not aware of every podcast that exists, but that doesn't change. I have. I don't see as many uh, general public facing as I do therapist to therapist podcast. It seems so. Uh, I'm trying to always figure out the best route, and I've got some people in my corner that know how to monetize better than I do. So we're, we're nice. working on that. Uh, Perfect. Yeah. Kurt, did you have anything additional about uh, what podcasters get wrong? Therapy, therapist podcasters get wrong. So in a lot of my practice, I talk about deliberate practice, about being able to know what you're doing, do it well, practice it before you do it. And I think that a lot of people really hate looking at themselves and the errors that they make and would rather just publish something rather than going back and 
editing it and tweaking it and recognizing that some of that laborious process really makes them a better podcaster that takes a lot of the work out of it later. And so a lot of times when people ask me, oh, hey, I want to start a podcast. What should I do? You know, I, I got the equipment and I'm, I'm going to have the topics for you know the first three episodes. And I say, great, record those. And don't plan on publishing them. Those are your practice ones. Like <laughs> even if you think that you should publish them, don't because mm -hmm. going back and doing them again will make you better. And Katie and I still do all of our own editing on our show. And I can definitely say that going through hours and hours of hearing us ramble about stuff that never makes it onto the published stuff ha has made me be more on point in what I talk about. Editing out all the little ums and uhs makes me a lot more clear when I speak. And it makes me a lot better podcaster by doing a lot of that extra work. And that's what I encourage a lot of other people to do, especially early on when people are making a decision of whether or not to listen to your podcast. Mm -hmm. Very good advice. It does make you a better, uh, more clear and concise speaker, I think, to have a podcast. If you were to go back and edit yourself, at least, because it's like, wow, do I sound like that? I'm going to start not saying um as much because... I'm wasting a lot of my time cut, cutting out my ums. <laughs> I'm just going to be more efficient in my speech and not use um. So I do think that recording and listening to yourself has some benefits just in and of itself, honestly. Yeah, so it does make, I think, people a better speaker to do this sort of thing. This is actually my second podcast. My first podcast was actually referencing... Uh, back to public radio through our uh, local public radio station. I, they had like this uh, kind of call to the public if you had ideas for a podcast. And so I had an idea about interviewing musicians, artists, creators, and it ended up, ended up evolving into kind of had a This American Life feel where it was narrative style. And so that, cool. was, um, that was a lot of fun. I appreciate so much you spending some time with me this afternoon. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to add about how the Modern Therapist Survival Guide serves therapists? We have a lot of stuff that we do and encourage people to come to our website to check out our conference, therapyreimaginedconference.com. You can check out our social media at Therapy Reimagined on Instagram and our Facebook group for therapists, the Modern Therapist group. These are all places where we continue to put out a lot of the other stuff that we do, uh, blogs, other videos that we make, and great places to connect with other people in our community as well. Yeah. Yeah, I recommend all that. That's great. Well, again, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks. This has been Mapping Healthy Minds, a podcast that explores the intersection of mental health and life. For more episodes, you can find the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and we are also on social media sites, Facebook and Instagram. Website for the show is mappinghealthyminds.com, which has access to all the episodes that we've recorded so far and a little bit more about the show. Thanks so much for listening, and if you enjoyed the show, give us a review or tell a friend. It's the best way for us to pass the word on to other people. 
Mapping Healthy Minds is brought to you by Compass Counseling and is produced and hosted by yours truly, Justin Lewis.